we believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. We're saved by faith and we're living out our faith. And that's why we're here. And that's why we should be here. Unless you're a guest or someone brought you and you need to know the truth. And this is the truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, The truth will set you free, and the truth is found in him. Now, we read on in the uh, verse 28. So people are going to say, I knew you. And they say, I didn't know you at all. They say, I didn't know you at all. Verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. And they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God, and indeed there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Jesus taught on hell more than he taught on heaven. Jesus taught on the suffering of separation from God for all eternity more than he taught about the blessings and the joy of being with God for all eternity. You know, when I went to meet with the doctors for my ear, because they have a pre-op kind of meeting, you know, and it's, so the doctor sits me down, and he explains to me the risk involved of the surgery and things that can go right, things that can go wrong, in extreme cases, things that can happen. He is explaining to me details I need to know that I can make a conscious decision before I sign off on a piece of paper that Kaiser is not responsible if anything goes really bad for me, right? But he is telling me the truth. He's saying, hey, this surgery, usually, you know, if we didn't hurt, we could do it in 30 minutes. But because the ear goes like this, and because your eardrum's back there, your jaw's over here, and this is over there, this procedure generally takes three to four hours to get it right. He's telling me things I need to know. Well, what if I just go like, I don't like the way that sounds. I didn't, right? Uh, I don't like the way that sounds at all. So, like, you cut my whole ear off? Okay, uh, I don't, like, I don't like that at all. You cut every nerve? I don't like the way that sounds. You, you think in most cases those nerves all grow back like, like twigs on the lemon tree in the backyard I was talking about? I don't like the way that sounds. I don't like the way that sounds. Hey, he's not there to tell me what I want to hear, sand dollars and butterflies. He's there to tell me what I need to hear. You're going under, you're having a surgery, and this is what we're doing, and this is why. These are the risk. This is what you can expect. These are the rewards. That's life. Just because the doctor tells you you got cancer and you don't want to hear that doesn't mean you don't have cancer. See, there's truth and it never changes. And the problem with every generation is when truth re- refutes the falsehood of how they cho- choose to live their lives in contrast or in conflict against God, people just say, I don't like how that sounds. Well, it doesn't change anything. If you told someone on 9-10 in 2001, when they're leaving work with the Twin Towers, don't come to work tomorrow because this is going to happen tomorrow, it, 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 it would just be inconceivable for anyone to believe what would happen on 9-11 the next day. But it did happen. 
The Bible tells us that the church has a ministry of reconciliation, and we're ambassadors and citizens, we're citizens of heaven, but are ambassadors for Christ. And Paul said, we are pleading on behalf of Christ that people must, that people would be reconciled to God, for, for it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And, and we are exhorting and imploring people to hear the good news, because the only thing opposite of the, the only thing other than the good news is really bad news. Because in God's universe, there's not light and ambiguity and darkness. There's light and darkness. There's heaven and there's hell. There's a way, truth, and life, and there's a way that seems right to men, but the end thereby is death. There's justification. There's condemnation. There's the first Adam. There's the second Adam. There's glory. There's shame. There's justification. There's condemnation. There's heaven. There's hell. There's light. There's darkness. It's all there. And from the dawn of creation, God has given the contrast. Hey, eat from this tree, it's life. Eat from this tree, you're going to know evil, and it's death. Well, what does that look like? Well, you'll find out, so don't eat from that tree. See, God's not mocked. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, for this generation, in this context, we talk about Jacob and Isaac and Abraham coming. So this is very Jewish, this context. But we also know it's, it's, it also implies that when you see, isn't that interesting? Like Lazarus, the, the parable of Lazarus, he said, he saw. And here he says, so those that are locked out of heaven, because that's the implication of the context of the parable, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, weeping, of course, is just weeping. Gnashing of teeth, that's pretty brutal. And Jesus said it's outer darkness. But somehow in the midst of that, when you see, Lazarus saw... What is missing in that parable of Luke coming up later on in this book? So when you see, so the only thing worse than missing out is seeing what you're missing out on. And I'm going to suggest to you from this parable, it's possible that is the case. That somehow included in eternal separation. Now, we just think time like, okay, so I think time like if... You look at people serving time for crimes. Okay, you did something really bad. You're going away to, for seven years because you were drunk driving and you killed a kid. You fell off a bridge. Now they're building a pier with his name on it. But you you were over the alcohol limit. You killed him. It was manslaughter, and you went to jail for seven years. You did time. Now, we equate to time like, okay, so time, you're in weeping and gnashing for seven years, right? We think time, space, and matter. Like, you are this beautiful young girl, and you had a job as a waitress, and you just made a really bad decision, and it cost you. So seven years of weeping and gnashing, and maybe you'll get a college education. Who don't, we don't know. I'm praying for this woman that she would and get out in her late 20s and reboot her life, but have lost almost a whole decade and to live with that, right? This is a true story from Florida. So... But we equate it with time, like, okay, so there's a limit. And so we think, okay, so she goes away for seven years, and she gets out. She's a felon, so she's got a parole officer and those kinds of things. And, but, you know, you can turn the corner on that. And, but there's an end. Now, some people get life, 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 or capital punishment and these things, and there's no way it's ever going to change. They're just too dangerous, too violent. Like Dave Hegelmeyer was a prison guard at Pelican, uh, Pelican Bay up there in uh, Northern California by Crescent City, and they had the most violent, violent, violent criminals in the world, and they just crazy violent, and they just never get out. But even so, we think when they die, they're not in the cell, the body gets buried somewhere, and no one cares, and that's the end of it. 
See, we equate things. Pastor Chuck was talking about this on a study I was listening to this week. We often equate things to how we think that that's God's limits or how God thinks. And it's so hard for us to think in the realm of eternity as opposed to time, space, and matter. Because all we know is time, space, and matter. I went to high school in the 70s. I was a really good athlete in the 80s. I raised children that were young children in the 90s, right? I was on, you know, it's just like you just equate things with timelines. But when Jesus talks about outer darkness, eternal separation, when the Bible talks about the lake of fire, it's not quenched. It's, it's, it's not something reduced before a parole board that you get released early from. It's not even ending when you transition dimensions where this ends here, but you might be free there. It, it doesn't end. It's not limited to time. It's a different dimension. It's a position in a different dimension that never changes. And so there's light and there's darkness. And there's where the Lord is and there's where there's nobody is except you. That's a terrifying thought. Or to quote the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he preached that message, a great revivalist in the colonies in the 1700s, to help people understand how heavy sin is and how great is the grace demonstrated by Jesus Christ on the cross. The redemption of our souls is very costly. And as we know from Ecclesiastes, God's put eternity in our hearts. Even listening to a Ben Corson message earlier this week, he was talking about how the world believes in afterlife because, because we can't help it. Because God has put eternity in our hearts. Are few saved? As many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. The fewer the many is determined to the individuals, which is how we wrap things up tonight. Verse 31. Look at this. This detail is incredible. On that very day. Okay, wow. Jesus is answering on our few saved. And it says, on that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. Now, surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting Psalm 118. So, first of all, on that very day, you know, it's, we talked about like current events and news, like, oh, do you, you know, how about those men that... Pilate killed and mingled their blood with the sacrifices. What do you think about that? We talked about that last week. Well, that very day. You know, like, we often think, like, we almost kind of put, like, a halo over all the ministries of Jesus. Like, you know, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. But, like, no, this is the real deal, right? Like, this is the real deal. This is, like, you and me at work. This is real life stuff where Jesus is calling it the way it is. And then these guys, these religious leaders, like, they're just like, hey, hey, Herod's coming for you. You better run. Like, you ever had that at work? Hey, the boss is coming. You're in big trouble when you've been falsely accused or something. Oh, you better look out. The boogeyman's coming. 
You're like, this is so human, isn't it? We talk about the two things that sell the most in human experience, hope and fear. Fear is always for sale. You can buy fear anytime, anywhere. In fact, you can get it for free. Fear is the opposite of faith. Jesus always did those things that please the Father. So here he is answering the question with details and application, are few saved? The, the, the question of the ages that he's going to fulfill in a matter of a few short days in Jerusalem to be declared as a glorious gospel from here to the end of the age. And these religious leaders who are so small-minded and crippled by their inability to see who he is, the one who, you know, the Pharisees believe the Bible. This is what's crazy about the Pharisees. They believe the Old Testament. So Jesus says, you search it, but they declare me, you know. So he invited them to him, but they just, they thought they could save themselves. So they tried to go the broad way. They chose the way that seems right to a man, keeping the law, but the end thereby is death. For by the law, no flesh is justified in his sight. Yeah, that's the New Testament. Just answering that one right there. But they saw themselves as righteous. And so here's this little religious man, these Pharisees together, fighting Jesus, fighting all the grace, all the love, all the miracles, all the promises, all the goodness of God's character. And they're fighting it because it's threatening to their little warped religious worldview that's contrary to the biblical worldview that they supposedly held to and declared. And they're twisted little religious minds. And all they can come up with is like, you better get out of here. Herod's coming for you. Like, what is that all about? You better get out. of Like, you're really going to scare Jesus. Like Herod the Tetrarch holds anything over Jesus. Remember later on when Jesus goes before Herod the Tetrarch, who's the grandson of Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus when he was an infant? Different Herod, two generations later, the Tetrarch, ruler of a fourth. But he is the one who killed John the Baptist because of his wife and all that. So it's the same Herod that killed John the Baptist. And when Jesus goes before him, Herod's like, hey, like, all style like the, those kind of people are. Hey, do something, man. Let's show us a trick, magician. He tried to reduce Jesus, the Savior of the world, who answers the question, are you saved, in his person and his purpose. He tries to reduce him to being like a musician. Like a dog and pony show at a birthday party on a Saturday in Orange County. Ah, you bring the, you bring the, you know, the reptiles and your little bounce house and your little tricks. You know, like, what do you think this is? This is the savior of the world. He's answering the question that's the only question that matters for every soul that's ever lived from the dawn of creation to the end of the age. Well, you better run. Herod's coming to get you. Like, really? Like, Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father. And then when he stands before Herod, you know what he said to Herod? Yeah, I know some of you know what he said to Herod. You know what he said to Herod? Nothing. Not one word. It was just a stare down. It was just like, Jesus has already been beaten, and he comes before Herod, temporal earthly ruler. Now, Jesus had a long dialogue with Pilate. We know that. But with Herod, there had nothing to say. You know, you know Jesus, when Jesus looked at Herod, he says, you know what I got for you? Nothing. Nothing. There's people who accuse God, kill his prophets, blaspheme his name, and they're going to stand before the Lord. And, you know, someone might just get nothing. The books will be open. There it is. This is your life of unbelief, pride, rebellion, sin, destruction, and death. They'll bow the knee. They'll confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they'll be gone. 
I suppose he might say something to some people. But some people, you just got to, you just might get the Herod the Tetrarch treatment. Like just, he dialogued with Pilate. Oh, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate's like, whoa, you know. And Pilate's wife's like, oh, I'm scared. I had a bad dream. You know, it's like, but with, with Herod the Tetrarch, it's like nothing. He's just a person that lived at the time of Christ who rebelled against Christ and had his little piece of power like the Pharisees. And he wasn't going to give that up for anything. And he could take off the head of the greatest prophet because he had the power to do so. Just like there's people over this planet who can take off people's heads because they had the power to do so, whether we know it or not, right? Jesus came to give life, but he called him a fox. And he said, you tell him this and that. They're like his little stooges or something. Who knows? But he said, I must journey today to Jerusalem. I got to go to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? This is the... You know, if you go to Israel and you go to Jerusalem, the city is built upon itself many times. It's like you can go to Jerusalem and see Nehemiah's wall. It's layers. I know some of you have been to Israel and Jerusalem, and it's layers. It's like just layers. It's like it's been built and burnt so many times. It's layers. Jerusalem is layers. Of all the places on the planet, of all the cities, great cities in the history of humanity, why Jerusalem? Why do the world religions consider Jerusalem the focal point of everything? Well, this is why. And why in the dawn of creation there in the Fertile Crescent, and no matter what anyone believes about the origin of men, it's so funny because they all come to about 5,000 B.C. where suddenly here's men and women with cities building pots and having a kitchen and sanitary systems. You know, and billions and billions and the fish got lucky and the rock came to life and blah, 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 and bling, bling, bling. And no matter what, it always comes to about 5,000 B.C. And well, looky here. There's people in the Fertile Crescent. They've got villages and they have a functioning society, just like the Bible says. It all, (laughs) no matter how far back people want to go in their random lies of deceit, they believe, as Roman 1 said, being given over to depravity so they can live in their depravity. In the end, it all starts in the Fertile Crescent. And in the dawn of the age, in the Fertile Crescent, for 2,000 years before the flood, Jerusalem was about that far from the Garden of Eden. And then after the flood, during the Ice Age, and that post-flood world, Jerusalem comes on the map, and God calls Abraham to go to Jerusalem. And about 2,000 years into this planet's history, and about 4,000 years ago, God calls Abraham to take his son, Isaac, the son of faith, in whom all the promises are, having believed according to the promises. God spoke it. He believed it. All of his promises are yes and amen, right? So he believes it. So he goes up there with Isaac to Jerusalem before Jerusalem exists. I mean, picture like some foothills on the backside of Yucaipa, and you go there. And it's like, okay, this is the spot, but there's nothing around. And you go through this symbolism that's going to represent what God's going to do with his son 2,000 years later. It's exactly what happened. And Jerusalem, honestly, is about the same uh, elevation as Yucaipa. It is. I'm all for Yucaipa. You know, a cute little apple store there on the backside and all that. Okay, Yucaipa's all right. It gets snow. It's kind of cool. It, but Jerusalem, like, there's nothing about Jerusalem that's fantastic. It doesn't have a skyline. It doesn't have some great resource. Jerusalem is important because God made it important when he told Abraham to go there with Isaac. God made it important when he determined that's where his son was going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He made Jerusalem important. And there are Jerusalem, like fallow ground lays fallow at times with minimal importance for sometimes centuries. Look where everything's revolving around now to this day, Jerusalem. UN exists. 80% of their uh, 
orders were against the people who have the right to Jerusalem. Think about that. Modern global government, 80% of all the things they come against are all that's wrong, all the genocide in Africa, all the corruption in Europe and the United States and the Latin countries and all this stuff, let alone Asia. Who do they come against? They come against Israel. 80% of those resolutions come against the Israelites. Where do they live? In Jerusalem. How do they win the Six-Day War? Because God gave it to them. That's how. You just have to, like Jesus said, you can discern the times and seasons. How can we not discern in our day and age that the fact that the Jews are in Jerusalem, the star of David flies over Jerusalem, and our president recognizes as the capital city of Jerusalem, how can you not think that we're not in the end of the age? Or we're not at least set up for the end of the age, for the Lord's return? These are all prophetic things. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it has to be Jerusalem, and it is. It is Jerusalem. The Israelites, they build the dome that protects them from the rockets, right? I mean, it's a mad, mad world, but it still revolves around Jerusalem and the promises of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've redefined marriage. We've redefined gender. We've redefined boundaries and ethnicities and all these things, contrary to God's word, and yet it still revolves around Jerusalem. All roads lead to Jerusalem because it's the city of the king, and the king is returning. And when he returns, he's going to split that mountain in Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives, and he will set up his holy kingdom on Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem. And that's why it's always about Jerusalem. Jesus had to die in Jerusalem because Jesus is going to reign in Jerusalem. Can I get an amen? Because that's truth. That's truth on this day. Uh, That's where this planet's going. So don't get upset about blah, 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 and bling, bling, bling. We serve the living king. You know, like we're, oh my goodness. It's, I'm fired up. Bring the chariot right now. (laughs) Swing low, sweet chariot. You know, like bring it. We don't have a spirit of fear. God's given a spirit of love, power, and sound mind. We believe in the king. It had to be Jerusalem. And by the way, the last thing we see, we got to point it out. You were not willing. See, are few saved? Well, as many as willing are saved. There's a self-determination. That's the word I picked up from Luke when he went away to college. Like self-determination. I'm like, that's just another way of saying free will. God held them accountable for not being willing. So whatever goes on in this mad, mad world around us, people, believe it or not believing, that's their choices. You believe it or not believing is your choice. And I definitely believe in God's predestination, his election, all those things. But I certainly believe in our self-determination to agree with his plans. He will hold us accountable for our choices to believe or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anything that's a mystery between his calling us and us believing, that's, that's God's business, man. You hear the gospel, that's your business. You wake up and serve the Lord, that's your business. You wake up and rebel against the Lord, that's your business. That's self-determination. We all know, we're adults here, we all know we make decisions every day where we can choose to submit to the Lord or rebel against the Lord. We can choose to crucify our flesh and yield to the Spirit, or we can quench and grieve the Spirit. That's self-determination. Don't, we don't ever want the Holy Spirit to say of our life, I want to do this, but you are not willing. In this brief journey called life, where we're just moving through, and we are moving through, at a pretty good click too, we do not want to miss what God has for us. Are few saved? As many as are willing to, as many as come to him, are, he wants to save. He died on the cross to save. He is the only one that can save. And so I leave you tonight with the words of 
of Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin council when they were forbidden to speak of the name of Jesus anymore. And they looked at the Sanhedrin council who had condemned Christ to death. And they said there in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And they stood. They stood like Esther. They stood like Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego. They stood like Mary, let it be to me as the Lord has spoken. They stood. They stood on truth. They stood for truth. And they did not surrender it. And we're here this night as an extension of that legacy. And that's who we are. Our few saved, you can be saved. The people we love can be saved. We serve them. We pray for them. We show them. And then they have to self-determine what they're going to do, just like Jerusalem. They're going to self-determine. But we are in a crucial time in human history. And God has decreed we live at this time for him, his church, his kingdom, this generation. We're it. We're the church. Rejoice in the Savior. Live for the Savior. And be faithful to the Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.